Welcome to the Dauntless Grace Exchange. I'm Deidre. And I'm Megan, and we have a special guest on our show today. She is one of my favorite people that I've never met before. Um, Stephanie, oh gosh, McFarland? Is that? That's <laughs> yes, not that's even me. your name, is it? <laughs> McFarland is. <laughs> you have a different name on social media because you've blended your name with your husband's and confused yes. all of us. <laughs> But Steph, welcome. And we have actually asked you to be on our show today because last week we kind of talked about the difficulty of Mother's Day and just how that is hard for a lot of people. But we talked about what it looks like to be a non-traditional parent as well. And you have kids that are stepkids and your kids and his kids and our kids and my kids. And you have kids through foster adoption, bonus kids, international and domestic. Basically, anyway, you can have a kid, you've got a kid. And so, and, and there's like a dozen of them and you can correct that number, but (laughs) I love watching your journey. So thanks for being with us today. Thank you so much. I'm so excited. How many kids do you actually have, by the way? So we have 10 right now, (laughs) almost a dozen. There's a dozen of us, a dozen McKiggins. (laughs) Uh, And we, we have added them pretty much every way. Um, Biology, step parenting, foster care, international adoption. Um, We have kids that, you know, aren't part of the 10, but they are still part of our family who were able to return home to their families through foster care. So um, we really believe that there's more than one way to be a mom and legalities and biology aren't the biggest decider of that. That's great. Yeah, no, watching your parenting journey and just how hard you work to uh, keep serving all of these precious souls that God has put in your life is really beautiful. Love it. He keeps giving us good ideas. Like every adoption, I'm like, oh, I can't do this again. And then I like wake up with some idea and um, God has definitely blessed our our labor to bring our kiddos home. And, um, and once your child is home in your arms, to me anyway, it's been mind blowing every time that I can't believe all we had to do was like a little bit of paperwork one quick little road trip, you know, around the world. <laughs> <laughs> well, and let's not forget all of the labor that you do for your fundraising for these things as well. And the parenting you still have to keep doing at home with the children you have while you're uh, filling out dossiers and everything. Yeah. And while you're yeah. homeschooling them. And <laughs> I mean, it sounds crazy and I think it is most days, but it's been um, <laughs> a slow journey. And we're really lucky to like when people say, oh my gosh, I can't believe that you have 10 kids. I always say like, it's not just us though. Our kids are the best. They're the best 10 people that we know. And, um, you know, a couple of times we've been kind of ready to, to pump the brakes a little bit and it's our kids who are like, Hey, I saw this kid and I think they need a family or, Hey, what if I moved, you know, my room around and we could fit another bed in there? Do you think we could go back to foster care? Our kids, um, our kids are raising us in a million ways. Their hearts are endless. And um, we're, we're about to, to stop parenting, stop growing, not stop parenting, but stop growing our family. Um, and it's a little bit better. Yeah, no, I think I mean it this time. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, that's one thing that I've seen you through social media um, debunk <laughs> this myth that it takes a toll on your biological children or stepchildren yeah. or whatever, or the other children you've already brought in through adoptions taking away from them. But I think what we know about love is that it, there's an exponential 
uh, curve of that. You know, you could like, we, everybody has their first baby is like, how will I ever love another one? Like I love this yes. baby. And then you have second baby and you love them that much. Plus, you know, it just keeps happening. And you just exemplify that, that love that is just, I don't know, the God just gives us a new dose for every child. I think it's because I think every child has something so unique, right. Yeah. That, that every child is, I think if your heart is really open to it, and I think that if you're pursuing growing your family through whatever means for the right reasons, um, then I think that the child that God places in your path, you can't imagine your life without them. They, they bring something to your family that none of your other children bring. And, and I do think that that's something that, you know, pours from the top with my husband and I, like, we feel so incredibly lucky to be able to parent this crew. And I think that that's what our, our kids have picked up on. Um, and they match that with the the energy and love that all children have, you know, they're, they're like, yeah. Oh, it, you know, 10 kids is great. Why don't we have 25? Um, <laughs> <laughs> and so just every child just brings something different to the table. So you love them for a different reason. They're all my favorites for different reasons. And at different moments of the day, there's just something that each of them has that is just so unique to them. And um, we're just so thankful that they're in the world, all of them. And, and that, they found our way to our family in whatever way that was that they came. And the flip side of that, that you would also say is it doesn't make it easy just because you love them all. Right. So yeah. talk to us a little <laughs> bit about some of the challenges, like just make it real. You're good at just keeping it real. So, you know, I, I I'm a child from trauma and I grew up thinking that, um, you know, it was just a matter of, of the right family. I, you know, just the right families I thought meant had no challenges or struggles or, you know, the children always did what the parents said to, and the parents never fought and the parents never yelled and um, nobody ever lost their temper and the house stayed clean. Um, and, and, you know, when we were only parenting our own biological, my husband and I were married, I had two children, he had one. And I think that because we're both firstborn, very type A, I think we were able to kind of maintain that. And, and he has his own stuff that I won't talk about, but, you know, we, we both brought our own baggage to the table and our way of trying to address that was to control it. Um, and we really micromanaged our children's lives. And that works when you have two or three children, um, especially if they're biological children. But then when you marry someone else and you stop, start stop um, step parenting, excuse me, and you're bringing your baggage and their baggage. And then, you know, your, your former spouses kind of become part of your family unit too, because what goes on at their home affects what goes on at your home and vice versa. And you're trying to uphold everyone's morals and standards and values. Then it gets messy. And I think that the biggest challenge for us has been to learn to embrace the messy. Um, and I'm glad that we did that as step parents because foster care is really messy. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and a lot of those themes are repeated. If you're going to be a foster parent, then your child's family of origin matters and everything that goes on in your home, they become part of your family. So I think we learned that you can either parent with ghosts. So, you know, my husband's ex-wife could always be my husband's ex-wife. Um, and my ex-husband could always be my ex-husband and our children's biological parents could always be their biological parents. Or you can start to really think about what family means to you. And instead of parenting with ghosts and all these voices floating around, you can invite those people into your family and you can say, this is so-and-so and this is the mother of my child. And um, by giving them a seat at your table, sometimes maybe it gets a little bit messier, but I think a big challenge for us was learning that everybody 
plays an important role in our children's lives and, and being able to really embrace that. And that means that we can't control things because a lot of it's out of our control. So, um, <laughs> really good. I mean, yeah. that's crazy. Good. I, I'm on Enneagram one. So the thought of being in the mess with people and stuff and just crumbs in my house or whatever always stresses me out, but just a little bit, I know about parenting and adoption. It's like, you know, you better get comfortable with it or you're going to be fighting it. And that's not actually what your children need. They need to embrace the mess. And that is just the way you said that was so perfectly stated. That's really good. And I think once you arrive at that point, not that we have all the answers figured out and not that these themes don't continue to repeat where we are, you know, struggling with trying to honor everybody um, that fits into our our family unit. Um, But I think that once you accept that and it boils down to like, my family is always going to look different. Um, many of my children don't have just one mom or just one dad. Many of my children um, were born and exposed to things that we weren't in control of. Um, but I can't, if I'm their mother because I want to be their mother and because I love them and because I want to honor their story, then I can't pretend like that isn't true. So we just learned to redefine what family is and um, and accept that maybe there are these things that our children hold on to um, that we don't necessarily, we're not like, woohoo, <laughs> that's awesome. We love that you have this maladaptive behavior. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but we know that we're able to honor them by allowing them to be who they are. And that includes pieces of us and pieces of who they were before us. And um, that's been our biggest struggle. There's lots of little struggles in the day to day, but our biggest struggle has just been learning that forever and ever and ever, our family includes everybody who has ever loved whatever child we bring into that family. And that's just the way it is. Wow. Um, Since Deidre brought up the Enneagram stuff, I know you and I have talked about this a little bit, but I just want to point out, I think we landed that you are an Enneagram too, right? Yes. Yes. Makes a lot of sense. Um, (laughs) But then I get a little bossy and I'm a four, right? No, you get a little bossy and you're an eight. And I think that um, you, that is that heart for justice that you have where you, um, you've brought the last two children that you brought into your family have a lot of medical needs, like deep medical needs. And you have had to stand there and advocate for them in front of a hundred different specialists and doctors and nurses and judges and every other legal place you have to stand for them. And that mm-hmm. eight flares up in you, that heart for justice. And it's like beautiful to watch. I actually maybe would have thought you were an eight by watching you on social media because you can get a little spicy. Um, <laughs> and then I remember the first time we were texting back and forth and you sent me like a voice message and I was like, oh my gosh, that is the most precious, sweetest voice I think I've ever heard. And I actually, Deidre, a few weeks ago, she and I were like um, just on a trip somewhere and you posted a video. I said, have you ever listened to Steph's voice? And she goes, I don't think so. And I played it and she goes, well, that is not what I expected her to sound like. (laughs) It's just, you have the sweetest voice. Your, your, um, post, you know, have more of that, like spicy side of you, which we love. We fall, we fell in love with that. Just was a little bit of a dichotomy for me to embrace there. (laughs) I've heard that. And my, my older children actually find it hilarious because our older children are, um, they're, they're amazing. Uh, I mean, all of our kids are amazing, but it's really fulfilling to watch your children come into adulthood and and see who they've become. Um, but they are very rigid, very justice seeking, very direct. They do not get their feelers hurt. I agonize over things. So I am all of those things, except I'm also super sensitive. So I will cry over some altercation on social media for days and days and days. And then somebody will say how mean I am or like, 
I, I've been called all kinds of things, but, um, and my kids are like, have they ever met you? Don't they know? <laughs> so my kids call me Snow White because I like seeing to, you know, woodland animals and <laughs> have a squeaky voice. <laughs> I want to take care of all of the small children. <laughs> so yeah, I, I think that um, every single thing that I, I do is rooted in um, the understanding that I, I have somewhat of an audience um, I have a lot of life experience that makes what I have to say pretty valuable um, in terms of I've I've lived it from every side and I feel a deep responsibility to use that. And I think that it would be really unfair if I was parenting children whose parents were not able to parent them and then not speaking up about the conditions that made that the case. Mm. Really I, good. Yeah, I think that eight side really that line that you can go to as a two is helping you out because you get a lot of shade in the adoption community from people who are pro-adoption and people who are anti-adoption. Both sides. <laughs> and and yet you somehow can speak to both of those sides and you understand both sides. You understand why people are pro-adoption and why people are anti-adoption. And I do. And you've built such a following of people who just want to pour into your family and help you in your um, quest to give children a family that I don't know how you stand the shade from both sides and still manage to live in the tension of that middle. You know, I think that, um, like I said, I'm, I'm a kid from trauma. So we, speaking for trauma kids, um, we always have this feeling that we're not quite enough, right? And like if we were only this, or if we were only that, or if we only said that differently, or if we only did that differently, then maybe we would be enough that day. Maybe we could become enough. Maybe we'll be good enough. And so honestly, I think that, um, sitting in that middle place, I can't make everybody happy, right? If one side hates me and the other side hates me, and they both sometimes have good points, then it kind of releases me of that responsibility of trying to make everybody happy because I 100% can't. If I were to say everything to appease one side, then the other side would just hate me more. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. So it does kind of release me from it a little bit. Um, And people do love our family so, so well. And, you know, there are days that it's a little bit harder, but um, most days I'm able to just recognize that we've built something. Um, God has used, I get a little emotional, actually. God has used the story of, of my life, which was hard. And I never, ever, ever in a million years imagined that I was going to become someone who could be what I needed as a child. Mm-hmm. So to have watched yeah. that journey, I'm proud of myself. and <laughs> I'm proud of our family. And I met my husband in a bar. That's like the least holy place ever, right? <laughs> <laughs> but I have only felt God speak to me like, like audibly a few times. And when I met him, that was one of the times I knew that he was the person that I was going to marry. And I knew that that was the person that I was going to build this life with. We're so lucky. <laughs> like We are so, so, so lucky. So um, I don't have family, but we have so many friends who've become family. And there are days that the other voices start to drown out the, the family that we've created. And I just can't let it because I waited my whole life for this moment. So to be here, I would be really silly to not enjoy it because I got a second chance. And if I don't take that, then that'd be silly. That's beautiful. Well, I, you know, we didn't really plan this around this, but I know that May is like foster care awareness month and, um, there's so much you love, right? Steph, there's so many, 
there's so many weird sides about this, right? Like all of this, like what is, what are the to do's and not do's and definitely should know. But um, as much as we want people to be aware that there's a need, we, we also know as people who've brought children into our homes that you got to be honest about what you need to do. To, and so you said something just a minute ago that I wanted to just point mm-hmm. out. You said that you have been able to be what you needed someone to be for you, but you don't just need a savior to show up and you don't just need a home to exist in. It takes a lot more than that to thrive. And so I'm just curious if you could kind of unpack that a little bit more because sometimes people go into it with like rose colored glasses that if I'm just, if I just provide the bed and while there's some merit to that, that's not enough. Yeah. Sometimes I have to say to people who are very starry eyed about foster care, but don't want to hear anything that I ever have to say. um, Sometimes I have to say to them, but what if I'm your child all grown up? Will you then dismiss everything that I say or that any voice that isn't like, hey, foster care is amazing? Um, because the reality is that foster care and adoption is inherently broken. There is no, in my opinion, there is no plan that God ever made to have children born to a mother and a father who then lose their child and they go to somebody else who maybe had an easier turn of events in their life and is in a better place. I, I just don't believe that that's the gospel. I do believe that situations happen. Children need somebody to step in. It's an honor to be that person that steps in, whether it's temporary or permanent. Um, But I think that we have to change how we're viewing foster care because at the heart of foster care always is a child who's lost everything. Um, And if we really are in it because we care for the children, then we need to be doing everything in our power to mitigate that loss. And the place to start is to get that child back to their mama. Um, And I just don't believe that anybody should enter foster care ever if they don't have a heart for the family that's being torn apart. Um, It doesn't make you bad to want to be a foster parent. It doesn't make you bad to want to adopt. Uh, People get very sensitive. I've never seen anything like it. I'm always very taken aback by how sensitive people are to the discussion because I just think that if we can't even acknowledge what has brought children into our home, brokenness, heartbreak, tragedy, loss, trauma... Um, then how on earth are we going to love that child wholly and fully if we can't even acknowledge what happened to bring them here in the first place? And then when you start to unpack it a little bit and you look at the statistics about children who were in foster care, who then go on to become parents who have their children removed and entered into foster care, um, then I would take it a step further and say that we cannot love the children in our home as foster parents if we can't have a heart for situations that maybe have landed their parents into this place where they've made some choices that hurt their child. Yeah. Um, that doesn't mean that I'm okay, which I was actually just accused of this today, doesn't mean I'm okay with adults abusing children ever. Um, but I just don't, I don't believe that the answer is just to take children away and give them to somebody else because my family has flaws too. We have bad days. I don't abuse children, but I also have every tool in my toolkit available to me at this point. Right, right. So I would hope that as a foster parent, my go-to isn't abusive behavior, but that doesn't make me perfect. And it honestly doesn't make me better than the parent who chose something different because they don't have the same tools in their toolkit. So um, for me, the adult in my life that ultimately turned things around for me, um, was not a foster parent. It wasn't an adoptive parent. It was a teacher at my school. Um, she showed me unconditional love and acceptance, but she also never tone policed me. She didn't tell me I couldn't use my spicy words. She didn't tell me that I should be nicer. And maybe people would want to hear more. She said, why don't you write that down? Why don't mm-hmm. you put that in your college essay? 
I believe in you. You can do yeah. this. Yeah. She paid my, um, she wrote all of my reference letters. She paid a couple of my application fees. Mm. She helped me sort through acceptance letters and scholarship offers. Um, to make the difference in the life of a child, you don't have to claim them as yours. They don't have to belong to you for you to step up into the, the role of a child. So um, I, I just think that people, I think people are gravitated towards foster care because they see a lot of the the backpacks that foster parents get. And I think they want to feel good and they want to know that they're doing a good thing. I think that's a very natural human emotion, but I think that we need to be looking at foster care as um, a temporary solution. And I think we need to be addressing the root issues of why families are having to be broken up in the first place. And if it's something that could be easily solved by financial means, then I think we need to stop paying foster parents to take children into their home and start looking at additional resources for families who could benefit from them. Um, I mean, a foster stipend, certainly nobody's getting rich off of that. <laughs> it's not right, a, right. But, but just like on a base level, when I look at how unfair it is that there are families who very much could turn everything in their home around by receiving $700 a month to take care of their child. Um, why, 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 <laughs> why is it? <laughs> yeah. It's a very broken system, but like you said, also just acknowledging that there is loss for that child that is greater than if you've never experienced it, you can't even imagine. And so for, I don't know, I know some adoptive parents, even in my community <laughs> that are like, you know, there's, they had no trauma. They were babies when we got them. It's, you know, and they don't address this loss at all. And then they wonder when they're getting into their teen years, why they're acting out in these different ways. I'm like, I mean, they, you've never addressed, you've never mourned with them. You never gave them permission to grieve that loss. It, okay. Yeah. It's going to come out somewhere, you know? So I just saw someone um, comment, an adult adoptee comment that they had never um, explored the loss or the trauma that they experienced as an infant adoptee because they knew that it would hurt their mom's feelings. And I was so taken aback by that um, because all of parenting, but especially adoptive parenting, just isn't supposed to be about us and our feelings. And, and I know that's really, really hard and we're all human and we all get our feelings hurt. Um, but I just see a lot of like repetitive comments. It would hurt me so much if my child did this. Um, I do all of this for my child and they don't even appreciate it. I mean, of course they don't. They're kids. If you're adopting for the kids to appreciate that you adopted them, you're in the. It's the wrong call for you. <laughs> right, and even with our biological children, like you said, we really <laughs> resent doing for them all day long. Sometimes there are those yes. days. Let's be honest. Nobody's the <laughs> right. mother of the year award that doesn't complain about picking up one more dirty sock or making one right, more right. meal when they're done for the night. <laughs> exactly. I mean, you know, sometimes I think that we overthink it because kids are kids are kids, right? And then sometimes I think that we overthink, uh, underthink it, sorry, because it's always with us. It's always, like I said, we can either parent with the ghosts of what brought our children to us and ignore it and pretend that it's not there, um, or we can embrace that and bring it to, to our table. As foster parents, um, our family has exceeded the um, size limit for our state, so we are not foster parents at this time, um, too many young people for our state. But as foster parents, the, the first thing that we did was um, like, like the day that they came and sat at our table, we asked them what their favorite fruit, foods were. We asked them what kind of things they like to do with their family. Um, when holidays come up, we always incorporate traditions from their, their family of origin into our family. 
um, we, you know, we, we make sure that they have the comforts from their home while in our home. We want to hear about your mama. We want to hear about the stories that she read with you when you were little. We want to hear about how you decorate your tree. Um, you know, we've incorporated some strange traditions that <laughs> yeah. maybe don't match the aesthetic of our family at all. <laughs> um, but it's part of who our children are and we, we don't want to make them feel like to make a child feel like their family of origin is inherently bad is telling them that they are inherently bad. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, they're already struggling with what to think about all of this anyway. Mm -hmm. So to give them permission to still love and honor that family and, and have good memories from things that they've done. That's, that's really powerful. We've never had a child in our home who has only had bad experiences. We're meeting them at their worst and they're coming into our home at our best. That's not fair. Yeah. So we've always tried to make sure that their parents know that we know that also. Hey, I wish I could have met you under different circumstances, but you're seeing us at our best and we've entered into your story at the hardest spot. So we're on your side. We're rooting for you. We're cheering for you. We want to see your baby come home. We we want your family to be reunited. But in the meantime, I need that recipe for that chicken thing that you make because <laughs> I can't get it right. And your baby's been requesting it because she misses you. Um, it's just really that simple. We want to be a part of our children's whole story, not just the part where we have something to gain from them being with us, you know? Yeah. So good. Um, Steph, talk us through what's been going on the last few years with your international adoption escapades. I, I know this could be like two hours if we just let you talk. So try to try to sum it up a little bit and then tell us where you are right now. Okay, well, I guess the summary is we no longer tell God what we're going to do. God tells us what we're going to do. <laughs> <laughs> That'd probably be a good life lesson for all of us to learn. <laughs> yes. So when we decided to adopt, um, to us, that was a different journey than fostering for all the reasons that I stated before. Um, So when we decided to adopt, I laid out a really clear path of what we were definitely not going to do. And what I said was, we definitely would not adopt children with profound special needs. We definitely would not adopt from the Eastern Bloc. And because we were um, foster parents to teenagers, we also definitely would not adopt young children. So that worked out for you. So we're on our third adoption of a young child with Down syndrome from the Eastern Bloc. So things are going great. (laughs) Right according to plan, sounds like. Right according to plan. (laughs) (laughs) But we have learned a lot through the process. And there have definitely been times where um, we have been forced to, not forced to, um, maybe just had our, our, I can't think of the word that I'm looking for, our, not priorities. I don't know why I can't think of the word. The things that we say we believe in, God has been like, oh, really? Let's see if you believe it. And I don't mean not adopting kids, you know, like the kids that we've adopted, but um, we had committed. We were about to meet the first child in Eastern Europe that we had pursued the adoption of. And his parents changed his mind, changed their mind. And they actually took him home from the orphanage. And everybody felt very sorry for us. And, you know, we really felt like this was a moment to really say like, no, no, this is what we say we believe in. This is what we say needs to happen. We say that we want to see parents brave enough to take their children home. And these parents did, this is something to celebrate. So um, we grieved a little, but we tried to do it pretty privately because we wanted the theme of the experience to be that now two children were going to get out of an orphanage. Um, And we got back on the saddle and we submitted our paperwork again. And we were blessed with the most amazing sassy, 
tiny little European who has just turned our world upside down in the very best way (laughs) (laughs) and shown me things that I never thought I could do. She does have, um, as you said, pretty extensive medical needs. And I didn't think I could ever be a medical mama. And this sassy little thing just shows me every day that I'm much more than I knew that I was. So we're thankful for her. Um, Obviously, we're thankful for all of our children, but she's extra spicy, so. (laughs) (laughs) She fits right in, I think. (laughs) Right. Um, And then we ended up, um, we went back to foster care for a little bit, and then we went back, decided to go back to Eastern Europe again, and uh, have been blessed with a son who's been home for a few months now. And um, when when I was leaving the orphanage, when I flew over and picked him up, Um, As I was leaving the orphanage, the director brought us, brought me a packet and inside was a letter from his birth family, um, a gift and a picture that they had painted opening the door for contact, which is super brave in his country because that's not something that is actually even allowed. Um, So again, God was like, hey, you do a lot of talking. So here's your chance to show (laughs) that you walk too. You don't just talk, you walk. Um, So we've been able to, you know, we have this budding relationship with his family, but we've been able to send pictures and updates and get information that we wouldn't otherwise be able to have and, and just be able to continue to keep him connected to his country, his culture and his family. Um, So that has been a tremendous blessing. Um, And then there was a child who we have been saying for a year now, um, why is nobody adopting this baby? Why he? He's six, but why is nobody adopting this child? Why isn't anybody stepping up for this child? Why has nobody stepped up for this child? Um, and I kind of avoided talking to God about it because I thought I knew what he was going to say. Um, <laughs> but turns out we were waiting for us to step up. So, <laughs> wow, that's great. <laughs> we, I think every child has given us an opportunity to um, really grow closer to, to God and step away a little bit from things that maybe we used to think made sense. Um, one of my dearest friends actually adopted a child with Down syndrome from Eastern Europe. Um, at the time we were in process to adopt from Ethiopia before the country closed. And I told her that she should not do it. And it didn't seem like a very good idea. (laughs) She could not be talked out of it. And she ended (laughs) up showing me how, just because you're, you're scared maybe of something that looks daunting. Um, maybe it isn't, maybe it's your, your greatest blessing. So I kind of begrudgingly fell in love with her children and here we are. (laughs) I love that. So you are in the process of this third adoption and you work your butt off doing all of your own fundraising. And it's not like, Hey, give us money. And so I'm going to build a social media platform. So people just give us money. It's like, I'm going to create a set of greeting cards and I'm going to create a set of dolls and I'm going to sew a hundred thousand bunny rabbits. And I mean, you work your butt off to get these kids home. It's something that's really, really important to me. We, we've been super blessed by financial gifts as well. So certainly people give out of the goodness of their hearts. Um, but it's really important to me because a, a large part of why our children are not able to stay in their country is because of resources. So I don't feel comfortable asking people to just donate to our adoption when I know that a lack of resources is, and, and not just financial resources, but many other resources is a huge reason why they're in an orphanage in the first place. I, I want to work my children home. I want to create beautiful things for them. Um, I want that process of being awake all night and, 
you know, when everyone else in my house is asleep and it's very, very quiet and I look at the clock and I see that it's 2 a.m. here, but that means it's 9 a.m. there and they're just starting their day and I get to kind of say good morning to my babies across the ocean before I turn in for the night. That's something that's really, really important to me. Um, so it's really been, been an honor, but I am ready to stop. <laughs> <laughs> no more. <laughs> well, why don't you go ahead and plug where people can find some of those homemade goodies and just even how to donate to this next adoption. So we do have, look, after I said all of that, we also have a site where you can donate. <laughs> um, but it's actually through uh, uh, Reese's Rainbow, which is an organization who advocates for children with special needs available for international adoption. Several different countries um, leans heavily towards Eastern Europe. Um, but we actually are fully funded right now. That's what? Amazing. <laughs> oh, are you really? Wow. Yeah. Steph. <laughs> is that the news yeah oh my gosh I want to cry like that's brand new information to me so um last weekend I had said to my husband that we were $8,200 short which I still felt uh, we've only been home for a couple of months with our new little guy so I felt like that was amazing um and then I told I also said earlier that I've only heard God like audibly speak to me a couple of times and one was when I met my husband there were a couple of others. And then um, this weekend, I heard my husband say, why don't you go? I heard my husband. I heard God say, why don't you go ask your husband about this child? We have been taught. Remember, we've been saying, why is no one stepping up for this child? Why is no one? Whatever, whatever. So I did. And he was like, yeah, we should probably do that. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. I mean, not wanting to look him in the eye. <laughs> okay. Oh I'll just get those papers for you to sign. We won't talk about this again until then. Um, so just... So I could share with friends who the child was. I went to his um, advocacy page and he has $8,200 in grant money. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> that, oh, I love the way God works. That is beautiful. It lets you know you're on the right path, right? Oh my Yeah. Gosh. Big old signpost there. Wow. Right. Right. So, so yes, we are actually fully funded. So I'm going to, I'll, I'll plug two things. We started a small business to fund our adoptions, but also because we want to provide um, meaningful employment for adults with disabilities. We want them to be paid a, a fair wage because in most states in the U.S., you do not have to pay adults with disabilities minimum wage. Um, we also want to teach them a skill that they can do, even if it's labeling. Um, and we want our children with disabilities to have meaningful employment. I don't want them to have busy work. I want them to do something that has a purpose, um, and that's meaningful for them. And I guess because I'm artsy, I want them to be able to create beautiful things that people love as well. Because I just think that that's really cool when, when people send us pictures of our items that are in their house. It just makes me really happy. Um, or like when somebody says, oh my gosh, your mango conditioner, you can't ever stop your apothecary because my hair needs your mango conditioner. That makes me, it's great. You know, it's a great feeling that I made that thing that provides somebody so much enjoyment. So um, we started a business called The Longer Table Apothecary. And um, everything in our life is centered around this analogy of the table uh, because we just, every time we think we finally filled up the table, we managed to scoot a little bit closer and put one more chair at it. So, um, so we call it the longer table apothecary and um, we'll start to transition now that we are finished adopting um, to providing employment. We have an employee lined up. We're super excited. So, oh, wow. um, so I will plug that. <laughs> and then also Reese's rainbow. There are a ton of children, um, with various disabilities listed on Reese's Rainbow. 
some families see a picture of a child and decide to jump in and adopt them. That's what happened for us the first time. We saw just the cutest little guy and decided to start that process. Um, but some families who aren't in a position to adopt are able to walk alongside families who are and contribute financially. Um, finances are a big stumbling block for many families that feels super overwhelming. So it's a great way to be able to give. Um, a lot of people can set up um, grants even in honor of children in their lives. So Reese's Rainbow and Longer Table Apothecary. Thanks. All right. We will include those links um, on our show notes to, so people can find those. Awesome. Yay. Stephanie, thank you so much for being with us today. This was a beautiful conversation and you are just, you. you're just delightful. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much. Can you tell everybody? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, and we don't, we didn't have to bleep you one time. I'm so proud. I'm super, super proud of myself. <laughs> no spicy words. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you so much, guys. I had so much fun. And that wraps up another episode of the Dauntless Grace Exchange. You can follow us on social media to stay connected. We're on Instagram at Dauntless Grace Ministries, and our Facebook page is Dauntless Grace. And you can join the conversation in our Facebook group at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash team DGM. For more about the Enneagram, visit our website at dauntlessgrace.org. For information and pricing about individual coaching sessions, and we even offer virtual and in-person staff training opportunities for your organization. You can also follow me on Instagram at Enneagram Megan. And be sure to check out our website for more information about today's podcast at dauntlessgrace.org. And while you're there, check out our retreat for this November 2021 in Colorado. We have registration live and we would love to see you there.